Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. You can turn in your gospel to Luke chapter 17. We're getting ready to start into some exciting stuff this morning. If you remember, Jesus has been in this confrontation kind of a mode with the Pharisees. They brought a man with dropsy to the dinner that he was invited to as a trap to snare him if he would heal on the Sabbath. And they were going around boasting and bragging about their power, their privilege, and their position. And Jesus kind of shot them down and he gave them parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, the prodigal son, who the father just lifted up his robes and ran and embraced and welcomed him back in. But that other brother representing the Pharisees would have none of it, just didn't want to have anything to do with these uh, traitors, I guess, if you would say, like the prodigal brother. And so Jesus then turns to the sinners and the tax collectors who are gathered there and preaches to them and teaches them, and, and he starts teaching the disciples, and he talks about this unjust steward who was greedy, but in recognizing his eternal destiny, what was out in front of him, he changed from greed to gratitude, and he was commended by his master. And then Jesus finished up last week turning to the Pharisees who realized that Jesus was talking about them, the religious elite the snobs, the holier-than-thous, that yes, if you are one of these people um, who is greedy for gain and position and power and privilege, you're going to find yourself in a bad predicament. And he told of the illustration of Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man. And Lazarus, who in this life had little, was very um, poor, but in the next life to come, he was there blessed in Jesus' presence. But the rich man, on the other hand, was destined to the flames of hell, okay? And it's a pretty harsh and pretty heavy thing that we were dealing with, and that brings us right to verse 1 of chapter 17. Then he said to his disciples, upon teaching about greed and gratitude and heaven and hell, then he turned to us, to his disciples, and said, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him from whom, through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. It's, he's, he's being harsh. He's pulling no punches. It's wide open that no, it's impossible that offenses would come. The, the Greek word there is skandalon, which we get the word scandal or scandalous. And what it really comes from is this idea of a bent branch or a twig that would be set to spring a trap. The word scandal or scandalon is also talking about if somebody would put a rock and cause somebody to stumble or trip. And so he says, it's impossible that no traps, no 
trips, no pits, no obstacles, no things set to try to capture people would happen. But woe to those from whom they do come. Woe to those who set up a stumbling block. Woe to those who set a trap. Woe to those who dig a pit. Woe to those who cause one of these little ones to stumble, to fall. He says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. It's interesting. This is a message that Jesus has preached previously. You'll find messages such as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus repeats the message. He repeats the word, just as we do this morning, and just as we will throughout our life. This word is profitable yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God will never fail. And so Jesus would speak at different times and different places to different people, but many of the message was the same. In the God, Matthew's gospel, in chapter 18, we find Jesus in Capernaum, his headquarters, and he preaches this message. Uh, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child and said to him, Set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, who humb whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me, just as we just received Rivy Jean, as we gather together and covenant to protect and raise up God's little ones, God's children, to guard them and guide them and be there for them through the tough times. Verse 6 of Matthew 18, again, preaching in Capernaum, Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. It's rather noteworthy if you know anything about Capernaum, I've been there, Cheryl and I were there, it's right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and you might know that the Golan Heights on that north and uh, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee are, are volcanic mountains, and the predominant stone in the area is basalt. It's the same stuff we got here right, in the Snake River Plain, okay? But because Capernaum was right there with an abundance of basalt, one of the major industries of the city of Capernaum was making millstones. When you go and visit there, you can see the, the, the um, synagogue that Jesus preached in. You can walk in it. You can see Peter's mother-in-law's house. You can see the shore on which Jesus is preaching this right now. And on the back of the city which isn't really that far, probably across the street, is this big quarry and kind of a factory for making millstones. And there's a bunch of these millstones just scattered all around the place. It's several acres, and they're in process of being built, and for whatever reason, right, they're, they're not being built. But you see all these various millstones. And so when Jesus used this 
uh, picture, it was something easy for them to understand. Woe to him. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. And they can see the millstones all there. They can probably hear the chisels making the millstones while he's preaching. And they can see the sea. It's right there. It would be better for one who causes trips, traps, one of these little ones to sin. It'd be better for them if a millstone were hung around their neck and thrown into the sea. This comes right on the feet of Jesus preaching to the Pharisees, you got a choice. You got heaven or hell. You got life or you've got destruction. And so this is pretty heavy. Something that's rather interesting in this, if you go into the original Greek, I know I do this to you sometimes, but it's fun. You're going to like this one. He said to his disciples, 17.1, it's impossible, or I'm sorry, verse 2, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. In the Greek, that millstone is two words. Mulos onikos. Mulos is the word for millstone. Onikos is the word for ass, a beast of burden, a donkey. And so there are a lot of different kinds of millstones. Many moms in their homes would have a millstone that they would grind the grain by hand. They'd be very light, several pounds. But a mulos onikos, an mul, uh, a millstone of the ass, is a very, very large millstone, up to five feet across, and it could be a foot thick. It could weigh up to a thousand pounds or more, and it required a donkey, an ass, to be hitched into it and walk around in circles, turning the upper stone of the millstone, mostly for commercial production of grain and flour and that kind of things, where they're using large volumes. But this is what Jesus used. He used the mulos onikos, the millstone of the ass. Better that the millstone of the ass was put around your head and you were thrown into the sea. I want to do something I haven't done for a little while, but I think it's time. Last Wednesday, April 19th, is an anniversary of an event that occurred in the spring of 1775. Jonas Clark was the pastor of the Church of Christ in Lexington. He was gathering with some of his friends, Sam Adams, John Hancock, John Parker, discussing what they might do in light of the social context of the day. Jonas Clark was a preacher. He was a pastor of this church. And he was a member of what was known as a black-robed regiment. That was a derisive term the English used to describe the preachers and the pastors in the pulpits of New England because the preachers and the pastors were preaching a gospel of liberty, a gospel of dignity, a gospel of respect, and it was causing the colonists to throw off the yoke of tyranny. And so in a mocking sort of way, they called these leaders 
of this revolution, the black-robed regiment. And they spoke to issues of the day. It was on the morning of April 19, 1775, Pastor Clark, his elder, John Parker, uh, Sam Adams, John Hancock, and several were gathered when the previous evening, in the wee hours of the morning, Johnny Dawes and John, or uh, Paul Revere, came with a message. The regulars are coming. The regulars are coming. That was the name of the Redcoats, the British Army that was coming to put down this uprising. And they arrived there in the courtyard of the First Church of Christ in Lexington with Jonas Clark and John Parker, leader of the men, the militia that had trained to respond for such a time as this. They were able to grab their flintlocks and assemble in a moment's notice. They were nicknamed Minutemen. These 77 Minutemen met these British soldiers on the lawn under the shade of the bell tower of the church. And it's there that Ralph Waldo Emerson, in his hymn, the Concord Hymn, writes the famous line, a shot heard round the world rang out. And there was this issue going down to Concord where all the citizens stood up, just stood up and says, not, not here, not in my town, not in my house. And they repelled the British. And it became the war of independence, the war of liberty. I bring that up in light of Patriots Day, remembering April 19th. 75, but also in light of today, in light of the issues that are going on in our society, in our community, in our state, in our nation. And I think it's important that we as a church, biblical citizens, are informed as to what is going on in this nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. So we say in the news, and this is all this week, <laughs> just this week. In the state of Washington, the House Democrats signed off on Senate Bill 5599. It's waiting for a signature from Governor Jay Inslee in its legislation, it was passed along party lines to establish youth shelters to hide children from their parents in order to facilitate gender reassignment surgery. Those are our neighbors to the West. We share a border with them. And now, as soon as the governor signs it, it will be legal if your child desires to change their gender, they can run away from home, and there will be state 
facilities to house them and help facilitate their gender reassignment surgery. And should you pick up the phone and call the police department and say, ah, my child is missing, they will not be able to respond to you. They'll have to cover it up. That's the law that happened this week, or it's in the midst of processing right now. Also, our U.S. House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., this last Thursday, passed the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act by a 219 to 203 vote along party lines. All Republicans in favor, all Democrats opposed which would bar federal Title IX funding that to allow athletes to compete outside of their biological birth sex. In other words, the House passed a bill, it's going to go to the Senate, that there would be no trans boys competing against girls in sports. It's not likely to pass the Senate. And President Biden has said, he's vowed, if it does, I'll veto it. The United Nations, an arm of the United Nations called the International Committee of Jurists, the ICJ, just came out with eight March principles under the gauze of human rights-based approaches to criminal laws. And these laws deal with the conduct associated with sex, reproduction, drugs, HIV, homelessness, poverty. This is global, what they're trying to institute through the United Nations globally. It will allow consensual sex with children. That's what they're rec recommending. No restrictions on trans rights whatsoever. Legalize sex work globally, a.k.a. prostitution, and no limits on abortion whatsoever, regardless of age or circumstance. We're in the middle of a culture war this morning, right now, all around us. The American Center for Law and Justice, the ACLU, this past year has recorded 452 anti LGBTQ plus bills that have been introduced in 45 states across the nation. 29 of these bills actually passed in 14 states, including Idaho. In Idaho, just recently, we passed and it was signed House Bill 71, which stops genital, genital surgeries and puberty blockers for children, and it's been signed into law. Senate Bill 1100, which is about access to public school bathrooms and facilities will only be allowed by the student's biological gender. House Bill 228, redefining abstinence and removing the reducing the RICs sex ed curriculum that has been used using a non-traditional definition misleading parents and their children. It will defund this 
reducing the risk curriculum that's being used in many, many school districts in Idaho right now. And this, is, this bill will defund that. The bill was co-authored, under, underwritten by Planned Parenthood. We also passed House Bill 242, banning the trafficking of minors for abortion. So any non-parental adult can be fined and go to jail for transporting a minor across state lines to get an abortion. This was in reaction to Washington opening their arms wide open right across our border from uh, Treasure Valley in Ontario, Planned Parenthood setting up an abortion mill and then purposing to have a sex or abortion tourism where they'll send buses into Treasure Valley or throughout Idaho and girls can hop on the buses and go across the line. That's now illegal. Who knows how it'll fare in the courts? Also, and finally, uh, I'll just say uh, Senate Bill 1029 prohibits investigations and court orders terminating a parent's relationship with their child based on the child's immunization status. So these are all good things that have happened in Idaho. It's interesting with HB 71, banding gender reassignment surgery, Governor Little said he will not sign the bill unless he hears from enough people that want him to sign it. Now, you have to understand, if he doesn't sign the bill, but does nothing, if he doesn't veto it, it goes into law, but not with him signing it. 6,500 people flooded the lines and emails into the governor's office, many of them from out of state. The Idaho Family Policy Center and our Salt and Light Council, what we did as a Salt and Light Council the last time we gathered together was pick up the phone, write emails, send postcards to our representatives to say, pass the bill. 1,400 or 14,000, yeah, 14,800 emails and phone calls came into the governor's office and he signed the bill. Yay, right? But the war doesn't stop. This is all this week, guys. <laughs> I'm not even reaching back into the last month. The U.S. Supreme Court has put a stay on the abortion drug mifepristone, okay, the morning after pill. And the stay is until they can hear the arguments all the way through, it's still available. We have people in the church who have been to Walmart and seen it for sale in our community in light of the laws that have been passed because the Supreme Court put a stay on it until it's heard all the way through. The Centers for Disease Control is promoting a school curriculum, which is in many schools in Idaho, it's a nationwide school curriculum developed with oversight by the Pl Planned Parenthood, um, and it's all about introducing sex, sexualizing children at a very early age. What is the Centers for Disease Control doing writing public school curriculum? 
there's some good news. Mississippi, this last week, passed eight what they call culture of life laws, protecting Christian values. Christian family values, health, and life values, things that are supporting uh, abor- um, pregnancy crisis centers um, and, and, and allowing Christians to live out their faith. Texas right now is pushing legislation, two different pieces, one of which is to put the Ten Commandments back in the public schools in Texas. That's happening right now. The other one is to allow time in school for Bible reading and prayer. That's in the school. There's a lot going on in the world, biblical, Christian issues, and it's time to stand up. It's time to talk to our neighbors. It's time to write a postcard, to make a phone call, to become aware of what's going on in our own community. It's going on in our own community. And we have the power to pick up the phone and flood the governor's office to make our voices heard in the school boards, the city councils, the county commissions. Everywhere we have an open door yet still today that we can go in and say, I'm a citizen, I'm a Christian, these are my values, and I want to know what you're going to do about it. And hold our elected officials accountable and vote for people who will respond to us properly. That's my black-robed regiment moment. Thank you, Jonas Clark. (laughs) Thank you, John Parker. He was the deacon there at the Lexicon Church. I've actually held his flintlock that uh, he used there that morning. He didn't fire it because it was the British that fired on them. But nevertheless, he did end up in the skirmishes using it. But we've been given a heritage. We've been given an opportunity. We've been given a responsibility. We've been given Rivy Jean. What kind of world is she going to grow up in? It's impossible that offenses, scandals, traps, pits, stumbling blocks, it's impossible that they wouldn't have happen. But woe to those by whom they come. Better that the millstone of an ass would be thrown around their neck. I'm probably stretching this too far to say Jesus knew that when he said that, that there would be a party (laughs) that represents itself with donkeys. But, that's I said, that's probably a stretch. I don't know if Jesus would have known that. I think he might have. Again, I'm glad you laughed. I'm glad you responded, because the next part's for all of us. Buckle up. Verse 3, to his disciples, take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
pray, stand, speak up, speak the truth in love, with grace, seasoned with salt, and if he repents, what? Forgive him. Is the church going to be the place where we can receive tax collectors, sinners, publicans, prostitutes, Pharisees, Sadducees? Is this a place where people who want to go to heaven, who want to be right with God, who recognize the error of their ways, will be embraced? I pray we are. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. When you read you shall, and it's in red letters on the lips of Jesus, that is a command from God. You will forgive him. That's what he says. If you want to call yourself a disciple of mine, you will. You will forgive him. Seven times in one day, it gets harder. Verse 5, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's not going to be easy. These are bad people. They do bad things. They trip up. Good people. They lie in wait. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're out there trying to make mockery of the church and destroy it. They're tools of Satan. And you want me to forgive them? If they repent, yes. For such were some of you. And I know for a fact I was one of those. And I'm so glad that God forgave me and welcomed me into his family. The apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> the apostles, they want more faith. We're going to see Jesus says what you need is more obedience. These apostles, they have healed, they've cast out demons, they've raised the dead. But now, I have to forgive them? That's going to take faith. You kind of see, and, and not only see it, but you've probably even experienced it. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Faith as a mustard seed. A mustard seed is a very, very teeny speck of a seed. And that's what Jesus is basically saying. Even if you have the smallest measure of faith, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and cast into the sea. Kind of interesting in all of this, 
the rabbis in Jesus' day had a saying when they would see somebody who was a powerful expositor of God's Word, they would put this mantle upon them. They would say they are pulverizers of mountains and uprooters of trees. That was a saying that went around in those days. If you don't read ancient literature from the first century, you might have missed it. It's quite possible this is an allusion to that. Those people who know the Word and are able to preach the Word and teach the Word effectively and powerfully, they're known as pulverizers of mountains. Mountains often in the Scripture are pictures of government, government systems. And even if you're just a man of faith or a woman of faith and you stand up and says, thus says the Lord, this is what my Lord teaches me. There's power in the words. There's power in the gospel. And if you will powerfully, clearly, boldly preach the word of God, we can pulverize governments, mountains, uproot trees, institutions that have been established and grown their roots down into the fiber of our society by the word of God, they can be pulled out and cast into the sea, just cast away. All you need is a little mustard seed of faith. We know in Hebrews chapter 11, a kind of a working definition, a um, text that kind of helps us understand faith a little bit maybe, it says in Hebrews 11, Verse 1, now faith is, this is what faith is, it's the substance, the realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, faith is the tangible piece of the intangible, the substantial piece of that which is hidden. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. But without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible to please God. You, any, you got, anybody got their mustard seed? You got a little faith? Do you believe? Do you trust the Word of God that He's true? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe. That's faith, believing. Must believe that He is. <laughs> That's step one, faith 101. God is, and I'm not God. you got to believe He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently Seek Him. You see, this is how we express our faith, by seeking God, listening to God, and obeying God. Faith is a verb. In the Scriptures, two times that I know of, faith is used as a noun, which is, they would say, the, the, your common faith, 
the common set of values and beliefs that you all hold as a church. That would be the noun faith, the things that we believe. But that's used two, maybe three times in the Scriptures. 328 times faith, faithfully, faithful, 200 or 328 times it's used as a verb. As a noun, it's what you, what do you believe? As a verb, it's how do you behave? That's faith. How do you believe? If you've got a mustard seed of doing, obedience, you can say to the mountain, you're gone. That's the power of God's Word, if you believe that He is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. James takes it this way in James chapter 2 at verse 17. He says, thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Impotent, powerless. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. These are the Pharisees believing in themselves, believing in their abilities, believing in their wealth, their treasure, their position, their power, their privilege. They're just working their way to heaven. They're climbing that stairway to heaven. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith precedes behavior. First, the mustard seed, the word, the command, the order, then the response, the obedience, the doing of it. Do you have a mustard seed of faith? Can you forgive your brother seven times in a day? Peter would come up to Jesus and say, oh, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? You remember Jesus' answer? Seventy times seven. Try that. Forgive somebody 490 times in a day. I'm pretty sure you're going to lose track somewhere before you even hit 100. And then you won't know, so you just got to keep forgiving him all day long because you've lost track of how many. Oh, man, I wish I could get to 491. <laughs> I'd be off the hook. That's not what Jesus is saying. The seven times seven is saying never stop forgiving. Stand up, preach the truth. If they repent, welcome them in. That's the whole point of preaching the truth, of teaching the gospel, of sharing the good news, that hearts might be converted, souls would be saved. That's why we do this, not to be righteous, not to be right, but because it's incumbent upon us as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must stand up, preach the truth when people repent. Embrace them. Bring them into the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of what's on the table right here. Um, verse 15 in Matthew 18, I kind of opened up into that one a little earlier, but 
Jesus speaking, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear, even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. How did Jesus feel about heathen and tax collectors? He died for them. He loved them to the uttermost. He gave his life for them. But how do you treat somebody who is a mocker, a scorner, a ridiculer of Christ and the Bible? You love them. You preach the word to them. You pray they repent. We don't want anybody to have a millstone thrown around their neck and cast into the sea. That's not Christian. That's sadly what would be a better outcome for them if they don't change their way. It almost makes me wonder sometimes when I think about Capernaum and that millstone factory out back there, how many millstones are just laying around today. You can walk around and look at them. It's kind of groovy. And I'm thinking, wow, somebody would have been wearing each one of those except for Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, I will be done, it will be done for them in my Father's name in heaven. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. The apostles, Luke chapter 17, increase our faith. Jesus says, if you have a mustard seed, you can cast that mulberry tree into the sea. Verse 7, and which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Now, you and I, we've been raised in this Judeo-Christian culture to use the magic words, right? Please and thank you. But that wasn't the case in Jesus' day. That wasn't the Greek-Roman culture. That wasn't what was going on in those days. Most of the society were slaves, either indentured or flat out owned and if they they were just they were just like a machine you know would you go out to your tractor at the end of the day and say thank you tractor have some have some fuel you know and you, you look at it's like that's just that's how they would feel about saying that to their slave that's just it's not it's not what you would do after you finish serving me and i'm just ready to recline for the night then you go ahead and feed yourself. This is what Jesus says. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you. Take your hand, put your finger in the air. Okay, now point it down. So likewise you. 
when you have done all those things which you are commanded, forgive your brother. How many times? As often as they repent. As often as they re receive the word, as often as they desire, you just welcome them, welcome them, welcome them, welcome them. Let me ask, this is a little funny kind of a quiz, spontaneous. I just thought it up. But how many of you, the first time you realized you were a sinner, repented, and you've never had a problem since? I'm not seeing any hands. That's what I thought. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that there are those people that will forgive you? When you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. I had thought to go a little bit farther, but I'm looking at the time, and so I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going we're gonna to stop right there. Now, if this message is somewhat sobering this morning, well, praise God. But don't miss the big picture here. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Multitudes are thronging to him. People are pressing in to the kingdom of heaven. Revival is breaking out in Israel. The reason all of these religious leaders are so upset is because they're all flocking to this rabbi, this itinerant preacher, this son of a carpenter. What is it that you got? They've got Jesus. They've got forgiveness of their sins. They've got hope for eternity. They've got the way. They've got the truth. They've got the life. They've got joy. And they're grateful. And it's just becoming this huge parade into Jerusalem, which we just celebrated a couple weeks back, right? With Palm Sunday and all that Jesus has done for us and is yet doing for us today. But in all of this, I pray that we do hear and understand that the church is alive, that Christ is alive, that the church is moving, that people in Texas, people in Mississippi, people in Idaho are standing up, their voices are being heard, the government's responding, and likewise, those who oppose the cause of Christ are raging. And we are in a culture war, we're in a battle for our lives, we're in a battle for the life of this nation. And yet in all of that, I would just encourage you that all of these things Jesus said would happen. This is exactly what it is supposed to look like when he comes again, as it is in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. We're living in these days. They're exciting times. And we will be that generation that very likely ushers Christ right back into the world. Amen? Yeah. But it's going to take a little rolling up our sleeves, maybe sobering up just a minute, and then just tanking up on that joy and going out and letting it rip. Amen? Amen. Father God, I do pray that we would be obedient servants, just doing what we're commanded, recognizing, Lord, that your word is powerful. Your truth is grace. 
Your life is free. And you've given us the ministry of dispensing it. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just fill us now and dismiss us in the power of your victorious name. I pray for the Salt and Light Council as they meet in just a couple minutes. That we would be educated, empowered, and equipped and engaged in this culture that you've graciously given us. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.